Hey, I'm Phil. And I'm Chris. We are two dads who share one simple goal, to be better fathers to our kids. That involves more time together with our families, more books, more movies, more board games, and most importantly, more meals together. And if we're going to spend more meals together, we need to be better cooks. So this is us trying to figure that out. Welcome to Dad's Kitchen. How are you doing, Phil? I'm doing pretty good. I get to see my family tomorrow. Nice. And I miss them like something fierce. Great. How long have you been away from him now? It's it's only been a week. It feels like a month. I miss my four-year-old's hugs. She gives the best hugs. Like we're talking face and the neck hugs. Yeah. Just the absolute best in the world. Yeah. But oh, I think overall it's been a pretty productive week. I actually set out an outline for myself uh, to work 100 hours this week. And I don't mean like 100 hours in the office. You know, kind of a mixture of, of doing the day job and then doing some stuff with the podcast and then also working around the house and just getting some projects done. Basically, just 100 hours of being productive, which comes out to 14 hours a day during my allotted time. And tomorrow is my flight. So I think I'm getting pretty close. I might be maybe a little bit shy, but I'm sure I'll just end up doing some work on the plane as well. So yeah, so I'm going to hit my 100 hours. Woohoo! Nice, nice. Now that the rest of us feel... Like lazy slobs. Uh, what type of house projects knock it out there? Oh, I cleaned up my garage. I organized it, took a bunch of stuff to Goodwill, organized my tool chest. It was getting a little disheveled. Oh, gosh. I need like to do me. That. So bad. I'm pretty disheveled right now. I actually just got out of the shower, but shaved for the first time in a week, too. You know, in preparation to see my wife. You got to put a little effort in. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? We got rid of our television last year, but we, we actually still have it. It's just been in the garage kind of like covered up in a blanket. Yeah. But I actually just took that over to my office and I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with it. I, I might mount it or I might just keep it in the blanket and stuff it behind a sofa or something. But you can just uh, continuously display our podcast metrics on it. Like a like a bouncing screensaver. You, you've seen that office episode, right? When the screensaver bounces off the walls and they try to get it to land perfectly in the corner. It's, it's been long enough like that I'm not sure I actually remember, but it sounds super familiar. Okay, well, I'm going to find the clip and I'm going to put it in the show notes. Not for anyone but you, just so that you can see it. It's so funny. Okay, sounds like a plan. Yeah, maybe the, the DK logo. Now you have a plan for your uh, TV. Yeah, so not quite building decks like you, but I, I hope we get to see it when I'm out there. Yeah, you should. We should figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, do you just want to like get lunch tomorrow or something? Some flying out there? When do you get in? Tomorrow. Yeah, when? when? Actually late. Oh, okay. I was going yeah, like, to say, that would be a really early flight. Oh, I've had plenty of those. I am kind of known to book the cheapest flight, which is often the earliest flight. But with like the whole COVID landscape, uh, man, flight patterns have been great. They're super inexpensive. <sighs> yeah. And you can take a midday flight and not notice the difference. And it's, it's funny, like I've been, you know, I accumulate airline miles through like work purchases and whatnot. And I've been hoarding those because every time I, I need to take a flight for, for, you know, whether it's work or going out to see family or whatever, you know, all the things I'm not supposed to do during COVID, but the flights are so cheap, I can't pass up on actually paying for them. So yeah. then I just keep my miles and I don't spend the miles. So I told Ashley, we're, we're going to Europe next year with some airline miles. The last time I was in Europe, 
we went to Paris and I went to France as a consumer. Like I, I wanted to just experience French culture and, you know, like go to the art museums and have some French onion soup at Montmartre. And like we did all that amazing stuff. We did all those great things. It was super fun. But this time, having just been a teensy weensy bit better of a chef today than I was yesterday, I kind of want to go to France to learn to cook, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe maybe learn how to make some sauces. What type of French sauces might you learn how to make, Phil? Okay, here's the thing. There, There's actually <laughs> some sauces that I've been making all my life. You just didn't know it. I just, I didn't know that they were actually a thing. That makes sense. I mean, it's just so foundational to so many different things that you just didn't know that, like, that's what you're making. I remember when I was learning to cook. I kept like hearing about French cooking and I was like, what, what exactly is French cooking? Like I know what Italian is. I know what Mexican food is. What, what is French cooking? And like one of the, the most underlying themes of French cooking has to do with sauces. And I remember thinking like, I've actually been making stuff with sauces, you know, my whole adult life. I just didn't know it per se. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's interesting because you have a very distinct idea of what Italian is or Mexican or Greek, but French, yeah, not so much. And maybe that's because it's so ingrained or so foundational to the vast majority of cooking that we do. It's kind of become the basis for a lot of, I guess, Western cuisine. Sure. Yeah. And the sauces kind of in the same way, like are a very like foundational building block. I guess, especially if you're talking about the classic French sauces, of which I want to say there are five. I don't think I can name all of them off the top of my head. Yeah, we should have Molly tell us. There's one that, to me, with, with a lot of things that I've made in the past, one of the most prolific and honestly, like, useful sauces. And I think that's what we're going to talk about today. Also, that's bechamel sauce. We, <laughs> yes, that is bechamel sauce. <laughs> we brought it up in a previous episode and thought that it could be interesting to actually talk about. So just Saturday, I gave that bechamel sauce a second go, you know, with, with the rye. We have, we have since brought normal flour into our house, but I, I wanted to try the, the rye bechamel again. And, you know, I just got back from the airport. We're picking up Elijah. It was, it was one of those nights. It's like, I just need to make something quick. What do we have? We have pasta. There was like a jarred vodka sauce. And I don't know, that, that didn't really sound that great. That's like the orangey, like... Yeah, like pinkish. Or, or, yeah, yeah, like, like a pinkish like, sauce. Like pinkish sauce, which, yeah. which is, is great. I, I love vodka sauce in general. But it would be just, you know, like like a, a pasta with, with that. And I think we had some ground beef. I don't know. That didn't sound too great. So we actually had some chicken thighs left over because chicken thighs are like an absolute staple in <laughs> our refrigerator. You've only talked about them every other episode. Seriously. And I, I was just like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that bechamel sauce again. So again, we just had that rye flour. For whatever reason, we just haven't needed flour. So I kind of played with some of the proportions, worked with it a little bit, and also substituting oat milk for regular milk. But it actually mm -hmm. oddly does work just fine. Yeah, you can make it with the soy milk just fine. Yeah, yeah, it really yeah. does. It, it, it works well. So I just kind of cut back a little bit on the amount of flour and used a little bit more butter, and it turned out fantastic. And I used that bechamel as a base for, maybe it was more like a Mornier sauce because there was cheese in it, but I just made a, a pasta with chicken and spinach and a, a Mornier sauce. And it was absolutely fantastic. It turned out really, really good. Oh, great. I'm happy to hear that. All of that bechamel talk, like what, what actually is it? 
Yeah. It was the question of the day, apparently. The it's, question of the podcast, anyway. Yeah, it's the question of the day. It's the question of the podcast. Honestly, it's the question of the year. It's the question of 2020. Like, if you actually Google what is, it'll it'll autofill in a bechamel sauce. It's it's the most widely Googled trending thing right now. And, of course, I just made all that up. But a bechamel, Christopher, tell me if I'm wrong, is butter, flour, and milk. And there's methods on, you know, how you melt the butter and when to add the flour, how much, and then how you kind of incorporate the milk in with it in your saucepan. And you kind of keep playing with it. And eventually you're going to have this white cream. And it's basically the foundation for a lot of French sauces. A lot of sauces in general. Yeah, sure. Like if you've ever made macaroni and cheese, (laughs) you've probably made a bechamel or at least some loose version of it. Well, especially like a homemade macaroni and cheese. Like I live in the South. So yeah, like macaroni and cheese is a staple. And over the summer, we made a macaroni and cheese in our Traeger grill. (laughs) And it was so flipping tasty. Far and away the best mac and cheese I'd ever had. Yeah. And it had me make a bechamel ahead of time. But again, this was before we started the podcast. I didn't know that I was making a bechamel. I just thought I was making a cheese sauce. And quite frankly, I blame the recipe because it said, now to make your cheese sauce, you know, let's call it what it is. It's a bechamel. Yeah. So I guess like stepping back a a bit and, you know, we've talked about a a bechamel being a building block, but there's, there's another building block here as well. And I think I really do love the idea of the bechamel as like a, I don't know, it's, it's like a, a utility tool in your toolkit and you can take that out and use it and dress it up and kind of change it and it it becomes really like what we've said a foundation for so many different things but if you are going to talk about like what a bechamel is you mentioned you know it's it's butter and flour and milk another way to think of it is it's actually just a roux with milk added yeah perfect. and a roux is something that if you've made gravy you're probably familiar with Mm -hmm. but it's a mixture of butter and flour you know you're just taking butter and melting it and then incorporating flour into that and cooking it enough to cook out the strong flour tastes and then you, you have this mixture that's that's just really heavy in fat that can be used to thicken a lot of different things, whether that's a gravy or or a soup even. You know, you can use a roux instead of something like a slurry, you know, something that, that you've talked oh, about before. Yeah. yeah, very clever. Hadn't thought of that. In terms of making a bechamel, you make that roux and then you're adding milk to that. One thing that I've found to make that bechamel creamy is that the milk that you're adding you want it to be warm and you also want to be constantly whisking so you're getting rid of clumpiness that might be arising i mean that's perfect that's like someone get this guy a chef's hat so that's kind of like yeah summing up a bechamel someone someone get this guy a master class and rue is spelled how R-O-U-X is, is the, the, R-O-U-X. The, the roux that you're going to be making with butter and a flour. Well, I think it's an important topic, not just because it's used in so many things, but I think this whole idea of we've actually been making things that we didn't know we were making almost kind of lends itself to this idea that 
we're better cooks than we think we are. Like I remember, I remember when I was in college, I had this mentor and he always used to say, if you, if you meet someone and then by the end of the conversation, you forget their name or you, you see them again, you know, a few days or weeks later or whatever, and you can't remember their name. You're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I can't remember your name. I'm, I'm terrible with names, but he would always stop you right there and say, don't ever say you're terrible with names. Say I presently struggle with names, but I'm getting better. And it's kind of cheesy, but there's really something to that to eliminate out of your vocabulary that I'm not a good cook. Yeah. Got to up your self-talk game there, Phil. Yeah. You got to up your, your talk game. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that it's it's something that we probably all have used, maybe all have used often. It's something that's common. And I don't know, I, I think in the past, you know, I would have just thought of it as part of another recipe. But since I've realized that it's it's kind of its own thing. Like this is what it is and this is what I'm making. And also this is what you can do with it. There's like a little bit of freedom and power in that. In, in knowing that like if you want to make a, a, a creamy white sauce, here's like a really good base. And then you can add to that. Just like with the, the, the pasta example, just thinking like I didn't really want a red sauce because I didn't, I didn't really think that the red sauce was going to go well with the chicken thighs and I wanted the chicken thighs. So, okay, like I know how to make a white sauce now. And really that's, that's just a bechamel sauce. And then I took it a yeah. step further into, I guess, technically kind of like a little bit more of a Mornier sauce. I think most of the time a Mornier is going to have a combination of like a hard and a soft cheese. So like a cheddar and a Parmesan. Um, and I was just using Parmesan. But at its most basic level, a Mornier is just a bechamel with cheese melted yeah. in with it. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Which when you know like how to make a bechamel, because it's actually not really that hard. When it comes down to it, things like that. It's just like one extra ingredient to the special mouse sauce that I can make in five minutes. Or two extra ingredients to this roux. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's something that's great to know because it's such a foundational thing, even beyond, you know, French cooking. It's very much in a, a foundational thing to Italian cooking and like Greek cooking has its own version of it. You're gonna see it all over the place. In the US, we'll probably typically call it a white sauce. But you can use a bechamel as, like you said, a foundation for a mac and cheese or a lasagna. Or honestly, like I've even seen a lot of souffle recipes that have a bechamel in it. Uh, a croque monsieur, it's going to be a bechamel that goes over that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very, a very very versatile sauce. And, and maybe that's kind of like why they, they talk about it as a mother sauce. Because out of those five sauces, you can make just about anything else. Okay, so I looked it up. The five mother sauces, you've got your bechamel, we've talked about the velouté, you've got your hollandaise, I mean, if you've ever had eggs benedict, then you've had a hollandaise. Uh, you've got your classic tomato sauce, and you've got your espagnole, which is like a, it's like a brown gravy, basically. Yeah. It's a roux with brown stock. So brown gravy. Well, I mean, I think we could, we could do like a whole series on each of those. Oh, I'm sure we could. There's so yeah. many fantastic sauces and even if you step outside of the the traditional french style sauces like barbecue sauce pasta sauces mm -hmm. i mean oh i have sauces make the world go round an absolutely fly barbecue sauce recipe it's so tasty well, i'd love to hear that that's for another time okay so how does one properly make a bechamel like what walk me through it like what's your what's your step-by-step -step? as if i'm four years old 
Yeah. So I, I know that we like kind of briefly hit on it, but you're going to start by making that roux. And really that roux is just melted butter. With, with a typical roux, I, I want to say it's a one-to-one -one ratio between butter and flour. Mm -hmm. If you're using normal white flour and not rye flour, but you're going to take butter, melt it, and then you're going to start adding flour to that kind of melted and, and possibly even like boiling butter. And this mixture. should be done in like a saute pan or a pot, like a saucepan? Or yeah, like a, like a saucepan. Like you can, you definitely can do it in a smaller saucepan. I've been using a medium size, to, to be honest, like a two and a half quart saucepan, if, if we're being specific. I'm surprised you didn't say grams. Well, I do no, love weighing things out. Culinary background. No, I, lo I love the precision of a scale, but that, that might be a whole nother episode. But uh, you are just mixing that flour in and stirring it with a whisk. That's that's definitely the ideal way of doing it. So you're just constantly whisking it. And you're just going to incorporate that for a couple of minutes. Basically what you're doing is you're cooking the flour to kind of like yeah. get rid of like that raw flour flavor. Yes, absolutely. You don't want to totally brown the butter. Although there are, I want to say, some recipes that are going to call for more of a browned butter roux. Sure. With various amounts of milk. That's going to change the overall flavor. You're going to get that really kind of nutty, earthy, brown butter flavor. But in, in just a, a, a standard bechamel, you you don't necessarily want to go that far with it. You have that roux that's made. You, you don't want it to get too solidified. There's still like a little bit of a melted butter liquidy type texture to it. I believe the word you're looking for is goodness. Sure. Goodness. There's melted butter goodness to it. And then you're going to be slowly adding warm milk. And I think I think the warm milk is, for me and my experience, that's been the way that I have kept it from being clumpy. So you really start by heating that milk. You don't really want it to be boiling. You just want it to have maybe just that like slight hint of bubbling at the sides. Not like a roaring boil. No, no. And not even like a simmer, like a step below a simmer even. So you're just slowly incorporating that warm milk into your roux while continually whisking. And once you get all of that in there, it's, it's probably still going to be a little thin. And and I think that's one thing that's great about uh, a bechamel sauce is it, it is fairly forgiving. And so if it's too thin, you just continue to cook it. You let it boil, you keep whisking it, and it's going to reduce down. And then if, if it feels too thick, you can add a little bit of cold water and kind of thin that out a little bit. So it, it does feel like it's a, a fairly forgiving sauce. And, and because of that, I think there are a lot of ways that it can be used in, in different recipes. So on something like a croque bonjour, you might want something that's a little bit thicker, where if you're you know, getting it on a pasta and you want it to be able to incorporate throughout all of the pasta, you might not want it as thick as that croak. And that might seem a little bit complicated, but I think the beauty of a bechamel is that, well, like you said, it's forgiving, but it gives you an opportunity to kind of learn as you go. Like it, it, it doesn't have to be super, super complicated. I mean, it is really just those three ingredients, the, the butter, the flour, and the milk. And start there, you know, yeah. start there and then start making it. And you get to kind of learn like what, okay, if I add just a little bit more flour, what's that going to do to this roux? Or if I add just a little bit more milk, like what's that going to do to this texture? Or if you, if you then thin it out too much, like you can kind of play around with it and figure out how, how can I actually thicken this up again, you know? So I think that's why I love the bechamel because it's, it's foundational. It's not just foundational in the purposes that it serves, 
but it's foundational in just honestly like learning how to cook, at least for me. And it's definitely something that you can also play around with different seasonings. So you can not only, you know, add cheese and kind of create a, a Mornier sauce with it, but you can even just simply salt it or I have heard of people really liking nutmeg to add a little bit of complexity to it. You can add an egg yolk to make it creamy. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's one of those things that you can always try again on. And you can taste it as you go. Yes, you can taste it as you go. But I know that for me, there were several times that like I just massively screwed it up and it got thick and clumpy and I kind of felt like giving up and never trying it again. But then like even, even trying to make it out of rye, which ended up turning out really well. The first time was an absolute train wreck and like it was kind of discouraging, but you know, I was able to, I guess, regroup a little bit and tweak some of the ratios and it actually worked. Like it, it turned out really, really well. So if, if anything, I think the encouragement to not give up if something doesn't come out the way that you envisioned it or dreamed it would the first time, because it's just a few simple ingredients. You can always make it again. Yeah. Well played, Chris. Don't you give up over there. Okay. Well, wonderful. Well, we want to know how you've been making your bechamel. Send us a DM on Instagram at Dad's Kitchen Co. and let us know how it's working for you. Yes, absolutely. Whether it's just fantastic and smash it or if it's one of those dishes where you just kind of feel like giving up on. I don't know. I think there's there's something to be celebrated with both. We went out there and we made something and we tried. That's it. That's what it's all about. That's what life's all about. Okay. Well, perfect. This has been fun. I'm actually really excited to maybe dive into some of these other sauces. What do you think? Yeah. Should we do a series? I mean, maybe not like back to back, but we can revisit. Yes, I, I would say this is this is something that I would love to, to revisit, especially if some of these other sauces can be the tool that I feel like bechamel has been in my mind. You know, it's, it's always one of these things that I can kind of pull out of my back pocket and then dress up and make, make something fancy out of it. Anyway, yes, all that to say yes, Phil. I, I'd love fancy that. pants. You're a fancy pants over there, Chris. So I don't know. It's been fun, Phil. And I don't know if this one was uh, too information heavy or not compared to some of our other episodes, but it was fun. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not the listener, but I enjoyed it. I'm going to go make a bechamel and I'm just going to eat it by the spoonful. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be super tasty or not. We'll find out. <laughs> well, thanks, Chris. Yes. No, no. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil.